0: one three eight one or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We
1: welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October fifteenth, two 2015. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to join you tonight. Good to be with you.
2: And looking forward to our discussion tonight. Before we get into it, quick announcements. Quick announcement about our gospel meeting. Well, also about a singing tomorrow night friday night at seven o'clock here at college view we're going to have a singing jim deason's going to come from Coleman, Cull- alabama and lead us in singing tomorrow night at seven jim does a great job in leading songs and uh, he sent me a list of the songs he's going to sing a lot of old favorites uh, i think it'll be a really good night and we encourage everybody who can come to come tomorrow night at seven for our singing and then on Sunday, we begin our gospel meeting. Different speakers each night next week, 7 o'clock each night next week. Uh, Sunday, we'll have Kevin Maxey preaching. And then different speakers all through next week. Monday, Jim Michaels. Tuesday, Paul Smithson. Wednesday, Timothy Ruffin. Thursday, Lee Wildman. And Friday, Gary Smalley. So if if you can... Make it to our meeting next week. Uh, we'd love to have you and I think you'll be glad you did. Alright. Find out more at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com.
1: Now onto our discussion tonight, part two of a three-part series.
2: Of an at least three-part at least series. Three-part. We're, we're, we're really diving into this question of wine and how, how it uh, is discussed in the Bible. We started that discussion last week by talking about Jesus and what he taught and what he practiced relative to wine. Tonight we have a special guest. Kyle Pope is joining us on the telephone from Amarillo, Texas. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study.
3: You bet. Thank you for inviting
2: me. Uh, you and I participated a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago uh, in a special study in, in Alabama. Uh, and you presented some material there that I just thought was excellent and very, very informative and very necessary information. And so I asked you and you graciously agreed to join us on the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, you you are in Amarillo, Texas, and you preach for which congregation there?
3: Uh, it's Olson Park in Amarillo.
2: Okay, Olson Park. Uh, I did, had not had the opportunity to meet you before our uh, participation in that study a couple weeks ago, but I sure did appreciate your scholarship and the good study that you had done. Uh, I wanted to start out by uh, getting you to share some of the information that you taught concerning the meaning of the word wine as it's found in the Bible in both the Old Testament and New Testament. I think that's pretty confusing to the uninitiated, and by that I mean a person who hasn't really looked into this uh, carefully at all will see wine either reading an Old Testament text or a New Testament text. And, of course, when we when we hear the word wine, we immediately think of uh, something you buy at the package store, uh, something that if you drink it, you'll get drunk on it, uh, Uh, But that's not true biblically, and I I wanted you to kind of walk us through the words and their meaning in the text.
3: Sure. Well, I sure enjoyed being with you a couple weeks ago as well. That was a a wonderful experience, and I've appreciated your work over the years. First time I was able to to meet you as well. Thank you for your kind words about my my material. Um, I think you're absolutely right that we are looking at an issue where there is different terminology that, that... we inevitably will affect the concept we have in our mind. And we're used to that when it comes to certain other kinds of issues. Uh, we often have to help people understand that Scripture, uh, when it talks about the subject of baptism, it is always talking about immersion. It's not talking about sprinkling or pouring. The same is true when we talk about the church. It is a collection of people called out unto God by the gospel. It's never used of a building. And I think we're looking at a similar thing when it comes to the term wine, because we have a certain concept in our mind uh, in America in the 21st century when we hear that term that almost exclusively refers to an alcoholic kind of beverage. But I think it's evident from Scripture and from historical evidence as well that some of the words that were used in ancient languages uh, that could apply to, uh, that we often translate wine could apply to the product of the grape at any stage, from uh, fresh fresh squeezed grape juice all the way to even vinegar. You could find terms that were used in that way. I think that inevitably uh, demands that we are cautious in how we view scriptural references to
2: it. Yeah, um, uh, Kyle. If I if I said about if I told you I saw so and so, and he was drinking a glass of wine, yeah. in our in our day and time everybody would understand my meaning to be that he was drinking something intoxicating. That's right. But not so in the Bible.
3: I think that's correct. You know, there are some what we could call generic words that are used in Old and New Testament that I think uh, can be understood that way. In Hebrew, the word yayin, uh, I think, is one of those generic terms in the Greek in the New Testament. Oinos is kind of that way that can apply to grape juice all the way to types of vinegar. I think it's important for us to understand that. Um, You know, that may seem strange to us, but even in our own culture, it hasn't been that long ago that you could use the term cider to apply to anything from uh, fresh-squeezed apple juice all the way to what we'd call hard cider. But the same term would be used to apply to all of those different uh, stages of uh, juice from the, the apple.
2: Yeah, so uh, what what you're saying there, Kyle, is that this is really not uh, a thing that should be too hard for us to grasp. In other words, the difference in use of terminology because uh, even, as you say, with the word cider, you know. That's right. It it might, you know, we even have to distinguish it sometimes by talking about hard cider. Uh, versus uh, just regular uh, grape juice, or uh, apple juice, rather. Well, in the South, we use a
1: similar term for uh, uh, carbonated beverage. That's a a Coke, and uh, you have to sort of get more definitive if you want to know for sure what kind of carbonated (laughs) beverage. Um, Now, but, Kyle, I'm hearing some or reading some things where maybe some folks are saying that's just a cop-out, that you need to take wine the way that we would take wine. When you read it in the Bible, and you need to assume that it's got alcohol in it. How would you answer that that uh, that argument that uh, you're just using a you're just using some kind of cop out here to to claim that there's non-alcoholic wine when we were really well ought to be I would encourage alcoholic.
3: I would encourage whoever might feel that way to really do some research in this because if you look uh, and and look outside of biblical sources look at the way they will use these terms there's an awful lot that is written particularly by uh, Greek and Roman sources or Latin sources, in which you'll see pagans that are not really interested in issues of sobriety, but they will talk about a wide variety of drinks that they could uh, make and preserve, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but some of the techniques that they use, And I I really think that what we're looking at is not an issue of trying to uh, cop out or anything like that. What we're really looking at is the, the actual evidence from antiquity that shows the diversity of this issue. I think, unfortunately, what we're looking at in a lot of modern biblical scholarship is they've kind of just skimmed over this issue. and They haven't really taken the time to look very carefully at it. You know, there's no question that there is alcoholic, uh, there are alcoholic drinks in the Bible uh, that, are, that are described. You know, you can look in Genesis 9 and there Noah uh, he planted a vineyard and got drunk from the proceeds of that vineyard we'll see lot and his daughters getting him drunk. God, really so you're not talking about that, something we're looking at is not an
2: issue that's me I'm sorry Kyle. About- that's me I got I got a little feedback going there
3: sorry about that you're, you're not talking about something in which there is no there's no alcoholic drink but I think what we need to do is you know we live in an age with FDA labeling and very precise kinds of distinctions. In agricultural society, that wouldn't necessarily be what you're looking at. And we make a clear distinction between grape juice and wine and vinegar. And in the ancient world, you you will see some words that will apply to that. For example, in the Hebrew, there's a word kirosh or osis that can specifically be referring to uh, fresh-squeezed grape juice. But you'll see the same terminology that will be applied to wine that will refer to tirosh or ossis, And I think that shows us we have to be looking at something different. We wouldn't call grape juice wine, but in the ancient world they would do that. Let me give you an example. There's um, an example given when you have the prohibition that the Nazarites were to have In Numbers chapter 6, verse 3, there, it most of our translations will specifically translate it grape juice. And it uses the Hebrew word mishra, which means juice from grapes. But in Judges 13, verse 7, when it's summarizing that restriction for a Nazarite, it will say that he was to drink no yayin, wine. Now there I think it's very clear they are calling grape juice because he wasn't to drink that which is fermented or to drink that which was simply grape juice. But they would summarize it by calling it wine.
1: Okay, so So, so in in Judges 16, verse 7, then, uh, you think that's that's a reference, then, to both the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic with one word?
3: Let me get over there and see. Judges 9, 7, you said?
1: I'm sorry. The, pa- the passage the, you referenced the passage in Judges you said that was summarizing. Oh,
3: oh, okay. Yes, the one that I'm referencing uh, there, I think they are summarizing what the prohibition for the Nazarite was, because it is there uh, prohibiting wine.
1: And your reference, but, your reference in Judges was what? Uh,
3: Judges thirteen, verse seven.
1: Thirteen, verse seven. Okay, thank you.
3: You bet. And I would urge you to kind of compare that with uh, Numbers six verse 3, because there you see the prohibition, including even grape juice. Uh, but it's summarized by saying he could drink no wine. And I think that kind of...
2: So that, there's, there's the there's the idea of just a generic uh, word that would cover everything. Right. Uh, it, it could be alcoholic, but it could be also grape juice. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, and, and to our listeners, again, I would emphasize that comparison Judges thirteen seven and Numbers six verse three and you can see uh, how that generic use of the word yayin I've heard I've had people tell me Kyle that yayin always meant alcoholic wine but here's proof of the fact that it was used to mean actually the whole spectrum of things that come from the grape
3: I think so. Um, here's another example. Now, this is a different word, but most of our translations will use the, the term wine here. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 8. Isaiah 65 and verse 8. And let me read part of it. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake that I may not destroy them all. Now, I call to your attention the terminology there. It describes new wine in the cluster. Now, unless you're talking about something in which grapes have fallen off the vine and begun to rot, you typically do not have alcoholic fermentation taking place in the grape. Uh, however, here it uses a term. Now, this is the Hebrew word tirosh that's used here, the one I referred to a while ago. And you look in most lexicons, Yesenius will uh, describes the, describe this as must or, uh, grape juice. And yet here, most of our story translations will render it new wine. Now, that shows us we have to be talking about something different than the high content alcoholic drinks that we are accustomed to today when we use that term.
2: Exactly right. Uh, I think that, that in the King James actually it just uses the, it doesn't even say new wine, uh, uh, Isaiah 65, 8, thus saith the Lord, as the, no, excuse me, it does. It does as the, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Uh, so, again, but the idea of wine, uh, the mm-hmm. word wine in English wouldn't give you the clear understanding of what kind of a thing Isaiah was talking about there. Yeah. You gave another example, Kyle, about um, the butler, Squeezing uh, the grapes into Pharaoh's cup in Genesis 40, verse 11.
3: Yes, sir. That's an interesting one, um, particularly kind of what you see uh, in terms of some first century commentary on that. Uh, Genesis 40, verse 11 is where you have the dream of the cupbearer, as he tells Joseph about hand-squeezing grapes into Pharaoh's cup. Um Josephus who was the Jewish historian that records for us um, so much about the Jewish wars he also uh in his antiquities will tell us uh things about Jewish history and in many cases he'll kind of comment on uh some things out of the Old Testament he makes reference to this in his antiquities uh section 252 and um, he will um, he will use a term for this, and this is a a Greek term, glucose, that we're familiar with that as it relates to the way we'll refer to sugars today. But in the Greek language, it was used for fresh-squeezed grape juice, and I think that's interesting because he will he will call what uh, the, the butler did as he squeezed that into Pharaoh's cup, uh, which we'll often refer to as wine. Uh, clearly, that's grape juice. But it was also considered with that generic idea of, of yai in there, so I think that illustrates what we're talking about
2: as well. So in all of these, all of these examples, then we we see that you got to really look carefully at, at the context to to determine whether it's talking about a fermented grape juice, some sort of intoxicating drink, or whether it's talking about simply the pure juice of the grape. Now, Kyle. It, we would have to acknowledge that you can't really, there there are some texts where you might not be able to make that clear distinction. Would you agree? Sure.
3: Yes, I would. And, and that becomes part of the challenge. I think part of what we're looking at, though, is we're kind of in a generation where no one wants to even acknowledge that you need to entertain that possibility. Um, and that's unfortunate, because uh, it is assuming some uh, 21st century standards that were not accurate to uh, biblical standards. And, you know, that's not that's not trying to uh, sugarcoat things. It's not trying to uh, take a cop out. It's really just trying to look at the the broad complexity of this issue. Um, we may get into this a little bit later, but um, you would asked the question about copping out earlier. Uh, I would urge your listeners, if they have a chance, to look up a fellow by the name of Columella. Calumela was a, a, a tribune of Syria, and he lived in the first century, and he wrote a book on agriculture. Uh, Calumela was not a Jew, he was a Roman, uh, he didn't obey the gospel from anything that we understand. However, uh, in his book on agriculture, he gives some of the most extensive descriptions of what was commonly done in Syria. So we're not talking about something far removed from Palestine, but he talks about ways in which they uh, prepared different drinks, the way they preserved certain things, and and I really think that demonstrates the complexity
2: of what we're looking at. I think I think so. I think it's a good place
1: for a break, and when we get back we'll continue the discussion. Uh, looking at the, the language, that certainly is uh, something we've got to look at. The Bible talks a lot about wine. Is it talking about Uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic is it even possible for wine to be non-alcoholic we've seen lots of references so far we'll continue that discussion and as we get on into the discussion i'm looking forward to the experiment
2: yeah kyle's done some experiments about preserving grape juice and we want to hear a lot about that yeah because
1: that's the common argument you can't i mean as soon as you squeeze it it's going to start turning into alcohol and they didn't have refrigerators and so yeah. there was no way in the world that they weren't drinking alcoholic wine. And so we'll, get, you did some experiments that may show something different. We'll talk about that in a minute. We want to hear your right. thoughts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if uh, you'd like to give us a call, 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com and use the chat room to send in your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
3: I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to
2: tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If you never get criticized, chances are you aren't doing anything. If your complaints are coming from blatantly mean-spirited critics, tune them out. Their criticism says more about them than about you. Men prepare for everything, but unfortunately not for death. Your heart beats about a hundred thousand times in a 24-hour period. One day, one of those beats will be your last. Does that thought concern you at all? Man, wish I'd said that.
0: Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back
1: on the program tonight, we're talking with Kyle Pope from Amarillo, Texas, about uh, wine in the Bible, and is it possible for wine, when we read the word, to mean grape juice. We've seen references that indicate that it is. We'll continue that discussion. Look forward to hearing from you. Send your thoughts in via email or check in the chat room there
2: with other listeners uh, tonight. Uh, in a chat room, we had one uh, person ask for the spelling of com- Columella. I got it, C-O-L-U-M-E-L-L-A. Is that sound right, Kyle? Yes, sir. That's okay, correct. C-O-L-U-M-E-L-L-A. All right.
1: Uh, Jeff... Uh, Sent in an email and appreciate you for your comments tonight, Jeff. He said, I just wanted to make a comment on point number one of this week's discussion regarding the use of the term wine. It seems clear that it was used for both fermented and unfermented grape juice. Many times when it is used for fermented juice, it's clear because the Bible speaks of those drinking it or thought to be drinking it being intoxicated. He references Noah in Genesis 9, Lot in Genesis 19, Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and the apostles in Acts chapter 2. In regards to the initiation of the Lord's Supper, it is clear that it was unfermented juice as this took place during the Passover feast. God commanded in Exodus 12 and 13 and Deuteronomy 16 that during the Passover, all leaven or yeast must be removed from Israel. Since yeast is the agent that causes juice to ferment, and since yeast was forbidden in Israel, it had to be unfermented juice used at the Lord's Supper. Granted, it's possible that Israel had changed or didn't observe this commandment. They had so many others since God God gave them. However, in the instance of the Lord's Supper, we can be certain that it was observed as Jesus kept the whole law. Also, the term wine is used at other times in the Bible as a metaphor showing some being intoxicated or consumed with various things such as God's wrath, Revelation 14, verse 10, and not, 16, verse 19, the wrath of Babylon's fornication, Revelation 14, 8, 17, 2, 18, 3, etc. So appreciate those comments tonight, Jeff. Yeah.
2: Kyle, we got a uh, uh, A question here from Aaron in Texas. Uh, in, In regards to this word's terminology, how it was used, he says, is there any evidence that the ancients even took any trouble to distinguish fermented from unfermented wine? It seems to me that the most likely reason why Greek has only a single word for fermented versus unfermented juice is that perhaps they didn't distinguish between them. Even a number of modern-day writers on the subject have remarked on the fact that when New Testament writers speak of wine, they do not use the adjectives that we would surely use to distinguish between fermented and unfermented. They certainly had the word oxos to, to designate wine that had begun to sour. I believe that if English had only one single word corresponding to oinos, many of us would find it impossible to use that word without an adjective in front of it. Which makes one wonder why New Testament writers didn't do the same. So would they, would they, did they care to distinguish or maybe
1: the implication is they couldn't even tell. They didn't know what was alcoholic wine and which was not They didn't care, they didn't care, they couldn't distinguish, they didn't distinguish. Any thoughts on that,
3: Kyle? Well, I don't know that I would go that far because you do have so much in terms of what ancient writers will describe in terms of describing the changes, the strength. As I mentioned, we have these biblical words, tirosh and osis, that do speak of it just fresh from the grape. Um, I think my point would be that um, it is there is kind of a generic term that's applied to it regardless of stage. Sometimes there will be some specifics that may apply uh, to it. Um, you, You know, you're writer may be correct that that perhaps they don't use the adjectives in the way that we would uh, to to distinguish some of that but um, I think the evidence that we're going to see is that they they did have some understanding about if this happens then here's going to be the effect here's going to be the result Uh, and I think we have to take that into consideration as we look at some of the contrasting statements that are made about wine because you'll see it described as a blessing you'll see it described as something you don't even look upon and uh scripture doesn't contradict itself i think um, if if we understand that it is a term that can be used to uh something that is prepared in different ways uh, preserved in different ways or presented in different ways then you're not looking at a at a contradiction with that Could i can i address one thing with these first examples that we gave that i think probably is worth mentioning. Some might say, well, you know, describing the new wine in the cluster might just be a figure of speech. There is a figure of speech that's sometimes referred to as an economy of effect. I be assuming that there is a clear distinction in their understanding um, that I think we can't necessarily assume. And I think what what you're talking about is it can speak of it as wine when it's in the grape. It'll also speak of it as wine when it has fermented. It will speak of it as wine when it has turned to vinegar or been made into vinegar.
2: Okay, so uh, again... Figures of speech can be confusing, but if we understand how they're being... We understand our modern figures of speech, and and what you've demonstrated is they use some of that same kind of methodology. We just have to sort of look for it and understand it when it's being used that way. Um, Again, as you said, I think that there is a distinction in the Bible made when... At one point, wine is referred to as a blessing from God, and another point, it's 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 warned uh, warned about as as though it were a poisonous snake. Uh, they they understood there was some difference there, right? Because as you said, the Bible's not going to contradict itself. It's not going to, it's not going to commend a poison at one point and then call it a poison at a different place. So, so they I think they did understand and distinguish it. And probably, I I would imagine that because it was so much more common in their time, Uh, I mean, we're pretty detached from it. Even if we we want to drink grape juice or if we want to drink intoxicating uh, alcoholic wine, we just go to the store and and we get what's labeled that way. Uh, We're far removed from the growing and processing uh, methodologies but they weren't. They, this was firsthand sort of stuff with them, and so it would have been much more common for them to understand the, the distinction between the different kinds of juice.
1: And I think the uh, I think the parallel to what uh, we would call cider today, as you mentioned, uh, Kyle, is a very powerful argument because we still have similar instances in our language where we would do the same thing: call something uh two different things by the same name uh and right. just determine uh, the context would determine what you meant there
2: A- another right. another question kyle uh also from aaron he asked do you have any thoughts on the word oxos to describe what jesus drank on the cross matthew 27 48 uh greg suggest yep. greg suggested last week that it was not fermented now i didn't actually i i, I think i was misunderstood i the, the oxos or sour wine or vinegar, the King James uses the word vinegar. Actually, uh, I think Matthew's account in the King James Version is, uses the wrong word there. But uh, uh, oxos, as I understand it, and you can straighten me out on this, cow. Oxos, as I understand it, is wine that has been infected with another bacteria, either purposefully or or just from the air, and that bacteria has actually consumed the alcohol that's in the wine and and turned everything into a, an acidic vinegar. Am I correct in that? Well,
3: I'm not familiar with that that process. That that may well be the case. The the study that I've done on oxos has more to do with its its usage and some things that are said about it. Um, it's it's found in Matthew chapter 27 verse 34, I think, and that may be. Uh, that may be one of those where the King James has a variant reading there. But what is interesting about it is uh, there's a Latin term, posca, that <coughs> some writers will describe as synonymous with oxos, and they will they will describe the fact that posca was the drink that soldiers drank, and it was kind of a sour wine. But you'll have common you'll have writers such as Plutarch that will specifically mention that it was not intoxicating. And I think that's compelling, you know, because here it's not these are not uh religious people that are at the cross uh crucifying Jesus and yet what they what they drink uh is described by pagan writers as not intoxicating. And I think that shows you have a variety of things that were available to them, um, and it—you know—again, many of the translations will describe it as sour wine or something like that. But uh, it, it's evident that it's a little more complex than just saying everything that's called wine was
2: alcoholic. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and uh, I did a little more study on that question after the, after this came up in our study last week on the virtual Bible study, and um, my understanding is that uh I, i'm i was misunderstood i think I, i'm not saying that the wine wasn't fermented but the but it has the fermentation process hasn't been controlled and it's gone past alcohol now the the vinegar vinegar itself is a product that comes from fermented wine but it's it the the uh, the process has converted all the ac, uh, all the alcohol into uh, a, a, an acidic form, and it's not intoxicating anymore. The alcohol has been the alcohol has been used up in the process of turning it into vinegar, is my understanding. Now that right. th- that goes to the question of what did Jesus drink on the cross? Uh, but I'm a little bit flabbergasted that anybody would go to what Jesus did on the cross, what he may have, may or may not have drank on the cross, to justify social drinking. Certainly
1: wasn't a recreational activity there. Uh, that many are trying to defend here, so
2: yeah, all right we 're going to grab another quick commercial break here, Kyle. And when we come back let's let 's go to this question of preserving it. in other words, okay, so we 're saying just sort of in summary of the first part of our discussion, we're saying that the Bible uses terms that that could suggest that they were able to preserve unfermented grape juice. But what? we hear so often, in other no, words, I think it's clear, the bi- the biblical terminology, the words that are in the text demonstrate that. But we hear so often, oh, that can't be so, because they didn't know how. And uh, you're going to explain to us uh, some really compelling proof that they did know how and that, in fact... Their methods are repeatable even today. So we'll grab that, we'll grab a break and we'll be right back. And, and we want,
0: join we, that we'd like your
1: thoughts in the chat room or over email, questions at collegeview.com. We'll continue the discussion with Kyle Pope right after this.
0: Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. Daily, we are
2: confronted with a variety of special offers. Many techniques are used to encourage our favorable response to these special offers. Often we're urged to buy with the suggestion that this product fills some great need or that it will be offered for only a limited time. Other offers tell us of new products, special deals. Sometimes we're told that we have been specially chosen for the privilege of participation. All of this is intended, of course, to get us to make some positive commitment. There's another offer that comes to us which is different from those previously described. But with this offer, every incentive is really true. It fulfills a great need, it speaks of opportunity, both special and for a limited time, and it involves that which is always new. But perhaps most importantly, it provides a truly genuine privilege of participation. The offer of which we speak is that which has been extended by our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning verse 28, we read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, this offer concerns that which is of greatest value, your eternal soul. It is certainly worthy of your most careful consideration. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study
2: and watch it.
0: And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program. Back on
1: the Virtual Bible Study tonight, Ryan. This program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Talking with Kyle Pope tonight about wine in the Bible and uh, the way that the word is used and uh, preservation methods of those in antiquity, You'd, a lot of people say, you know, you just can't store grape juice without it turning into wine. They, they had no way to do it. They didn't have refrigerators. I even heard someone say, well, it wasn't until the late 1800s to when Thomas Welch of Welch gra- grape juice fame invented pasteurization. And so prior to even maybe 1870, we didn't know anything about it. And so within the last 100 plus years is when any
2: before it would be the first that anyone even think about having grape juice that wasn't alcoholic. What about that, Kyle? Uh, what methods were available to them and, and, and what, uh, what indication do we have that they used the methods that were available to them?
3: Well, let me comment first on that, I, that claim that's often made that, well, they didn't have refrigeration techniques. That really kind of betrays an ignorance of the whole process of fermentation because simply keeping something cool does not in and of itself, uh, prevent the fermentation process. My understanding is you can have orange juice or something like that in your refrigerator that actually could get uh, fermentation and have as much as 1% alcohol in it. Um, I think one of the things, too, that is really unfortunate is, um, as I mentioned earlier, most of our modern biblical reference works, uh, at least that were produced in the 20th century and beyond, uh, I think show a, a woeful ignorance of this topic. look back in some that predate that, and while they may be a little bit dated, they will at least uh, demonstrate an understanding of some of the ancient techniques. Uh, Smith's Dictionary of Antiquities, for example, is not uh, a religious work, but it will show what the ancients did as it relates to some of these. Now, do we have evidence that they knew anything about this? I think to to understand it, we probably first need to uh, think a little bit about what is involved in the process of fermentation. Uh, From what I understand about it, uh, fermentation works by uh, the fact that you have grapes that will produce sugars that can ferment under the right conditions. You were mentioning vinegar earlier. Uh, One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is it's not just an easy process to allow fermentation to take place where it's actually something drinkable. Uh, There has to be certain proportions of sugars in the grapes and yeast that will allow that alcoholic fermentation to take place. If those are not coordinated in such a way, it won't, it'll be too sour and, and it can't even go further the, to the point, as you mentioned, that it can become a vinegar. But what generally is done is in the, the skins of the grapes on the outside and inside the grape itself, there are what they call ambient yeasts. And when those come into contact with the sugars, that are in the grape naturally, um, alcoholic fermentation can begin to take place. Now, there are a few processes. You can go online, and even among people that are not religious but maybe have an interest in controlling alcohol content, uh, they will talk about certain techniques that can hinder or prevent alcoholic fermentation, and those would include uh, air deprivation. Cold temperature will help with some of that, but also... If you have concentrated sugars or separating the yeasts that are in the skins from the sugar, it can impede uh, fermentation. Now, do we have any evidence that the ancients did anything along those lines? Um, there are a lot of things that some of the ancients will talk about. Collumella, in particular, will describe fumigation and some things like that. But I think two techniques are really worth focusing on. And one uh, common practice, uh, and the techniques, first of all, this idea of filtration. Uh, you have uh, a Roman writer by the name of Pliny the Elder that wrote, um, and he claimed that the most suitable drink for all men was wine with strength reduced by the filter. And he even goes on to explain the difference between must. Now, must is fresh-squeezed grape juice. He describes the difference between must and fermented wine, uh, and that's in his Natural History 23-24. Uh, Plutarch will devote an entire discussion to whether wine should be strained, declaring that wine, cleansed by a strainer, has its strike and madness taken away, leaving one in a mild and healthy state of mind, and that's from his Symposiacs 693b 3-5. You'll have the Babylonian Talmud that will have debates regarding whether wine should be filtered on the Sabbath from Shabbat 139b. A second technique is boiling. Uh, When freshly pressed grape juice is boiled, what you have is water evaporates and it leaves kind of a thick syrup, uh, and that syrup doesn't ferment as easily and can be diluted later with water. Uh, Aristotle wrote about wines in Arcadia, and he described them as being so thick that they could be scraped off the wine skins and rehydrated later in order to drink them from um, Meteorologica 383b6. Uh, you have uh, Virgil, the Roman poet, describing Roman housewives boiling down sweet must. Now, let me mention mentioned a little something about that. You know, I was as I've studied this over the years. I remember coming across something that a Roman writer was. Uh, offering about how to make the best, and he was talking about alcoholic wine, but how to make the best. And he said what you do is let it uh, ferment for a certain time and then add must. And that shocked me because, wait, I didn't think they could preserve fresh squeezed grape juice to be able to add it later. Well, that just shows the fallacy of that. They had ways in which they could preserve So he was must. giving
2: it more sugar so he could get a higher alcoholic content.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it shows that they had to have a way to have must all throughout the year. Right. Now, that's two techniques, and we have examples of that. Even in the Talmud, they'll talk about boiled wines and whether it should be used with the heave offering from Teramot eleven one. One of the things a lot of people don't realize is that unlike... Modern wine and the way it's consumed. Almost everyone in the ancient world diluted their wine with water, and that may be for several reasons. It may be just to get more out of it. You know, if you're uh, having to use everything you have, you want to make it last as long as you can. In some cases, it's pretty clear though that they also did that in order to diminish any fermenting effect or alcoholic effect. Now. A few stats that we have on that we know from uh Homer in the Odyssey, they there it's Greeks that would dilute it twenty to one. Uh plenty again, we'll talk about eight to one, and among the Jews it was usually two or three parts to one. Uh, you even see this from the apocryphal book of Second Maccabees. It writes this, it says, It's hurtful to drink wine or water alone. Wine mingled with water is pleasant from 2 Maccabees, 1539. Uh, when I was in school, I had to read a work by Plato uh, known as the Symposium. And In that work, it's basically a discussion among these Athenians that are sitting around talking about various things, and at the beginning of their, uh, their drinking party, they decide what the rules of the, the party are going to be. Do they want to drink a whole lot and get drunk really fast, or do they want to be able to drink all night long and talk with each other? and they decide they're going to water down their wine so they can drink all night long and talk to each other. That's clear that's different than the high-content, fortified wines that we're
2: talking about. Today. And it also indicates that they did distinguish uh, between what they were drinking as, in regards right. to its uh, intoxicating powers. That's right. Exactly right. And, and, and one other thing before we get to your experiment you, you also found good evidence about means of storing wines uh, in, in ancient times.
3: That's right. It, it's evident that they um, used a variety of techniques. Often they were stored in jars known as amphora, and those would often be uh, sealed with resins on the inside, so you could have kind of an airtight seal. Uh, you'll have evidence that uh, they, could, they would then cover the... Cover them with a cork and pitch and sometimes leather over that. And a couple of statements that are made regarding must, I think, about that are particularly compelling. Um, Cato, the elder who lived uh, 234 B.C. to about 149 B.C., claimed that must stored in an amphora coated with pitch and stored 30 days in a water tank could be removed and kept as must for the whole year. Alumella will say a similar thing he'll he'll claim it needed to be kept for 40 days but it's interesting uh, Greg after our uh, study a couple of weeks ago I had one of the fellows write me that was there at the study and said that he had mentioned that at the congregation where we preached and one of the ladies said you know when I was young my mom she would uh she would put uh grape juice fresh squeezed and filtered uh put it in mason jars and we could keep it throughout the year so you're not talking about something that's uh, that requires a huge process or a lot of
2: modern technology. What's interesting here in all of these things, and and you've got you you presented a number of other examples as well, but uh, it's clear that they knew they knew the techniques, but also as as our one questioner asked, is there any evidence that they used the techniques? And and there's an abundance of reference and the ancient writings to indicate that they not only knew, but also employed these various methods for preserving unfermented grape juice. Uh, That's right. Now, we've we just got a little over 10 minutes left, Kyle. I want you to go to this experiment that you performed. In other words, Okay, it's one thing to read about in the books and and there are some really good books out there that I think describe this and and uh, describe the whole subject of biblical wines in very thorough and accurate ways. I'm like you, I think some of the some of the more recent writings on this subject haven't really done their homework and 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 they are actually clouding the issue somewhat. But there's some really good works out there and those who want to study it uh, can can certainly avail themselves of that. But it's one thing to read about it in a book, and it's another thing altogether as to whether it's actually doable. And so you set out to see if it was doable, that if you could preserve grape juice unfermented. Tell us about that experiment.
3: Well, back in 2010, I was asked to write an article for uh, Biblical Insights, uh, a magazine that's done by our brethren, and uh, it was on the subject of social drinking. And in that article, I mentioned a few of these things we've talked about tonight, some techniques and. I had a fellow that wrote me, and he didn't so much take issue with what I had written, but uh, some of the claims that the ancients had made. He had a background in microbiology, and he basically, after we had corresponded a little bit, said that the ancients were just grasping at straws. Well, that that motivated me to look and see, well, what are the facts about this? Um, So I I got some grapes, and I hand-squeezed about 11 pounds pounds of grapes, and I tried to do it as systematically as possible. I'm not a scientist, but I I did it in ways that we could test some things. And what I ended up doing was producing six different samples. And the first one was just uh, grape juice squeezed right into a jar. I tried to find something that would approximate an amphora, but I couldn't. So I found some little mason jars, but I didn't uh, can them with a water bath the way your wives might uh, can things to preserve them i just put uh, the grape juice in there and the next sample is what i did is i filtered all of the rest through a muslin cloth you'll have ancients that will talk about that so that would keep the uh, skins with the yeast away from the sugars in the the juice so I i filtered all the rest of them the first just filtered then i began filtering and boiling all of the rest and the the Third sample, I just brought to a boil and then put it in the container. Uh, the fourth one, I reduced it down to about a third. The fifth one down to about a fifth, and then the sixth one, I reduced down to about a tenth.
2: So the last and one, I, you, you just had basically just a. I think you used the expression. It looked like jelly.
3: It did. It did. It looked, you know, just like grape jelly almost that you'd have uh, that you'd have in your uh, refrigerator. Well, what I then did, I didn't refrigerate them. I put them in my office under uh, conditions that I think could have been easily duplicated from what we understand. And then um, we tested them. I had the help of a a professor uh, at uh, West Texas University for the first test. Um, We had a member of the church here at the time who has a Ph.D. in chemistry, and he kind of helped supervise. The other tests we weren't able to do at the university But essentially what we found is the very kind of control sample, it fermented. So everything that would allow for alcoholic fermentation to take place was there. And we got as much as 12% to 6% alcoholic content, depending upon a couple of tests that we used. But no question,
2: that one was alcoholic. You showed us a picture of that, Kyle, and it actually... Uh, in this mason jar you had it in with a metal lid like like you say like people typically use for canning but you just used it to seal it it, it right. actually bulged that metal lid up uh, from the That's pressure right. of gases produced in fermentation
3: right right it, it it bent it up and and uh you know it was clearly fermented but what is interesting is the others uh the one that was filtered filtered boiled and then the others that were filtered boiled and reduced they essentially had no alcoholic content. If so, it was so small, you'd get sick before you'd get drunk drinking, drinking that. Now, what's compelling about that is simply by depriving the, uh, juice of the yeast that's in the skins, it accomplished that. Now that's not even to mention the, the reduced form. You so, know, I so, actually,
1: so just the strain, just the filtered juice
2: did not ferment right okay so basically what what your test proved is if you did anything at all to the squeezed grape juice you prevented fermentation
3: yeah now now of course it might you might have to question well how much filtering was done what type of filter does it allow any of the yeast through and that kind of thing but you know this wasn't a This wasn't a high tech kind of experiment. I just had a a muslin cloth and basically squeezed the the grapes into it. So it shows that it can, it can be done. I actually expected the filtered one to ferment, but uh, through the test that we ran, uh, it it wasn't. And what was the length
1: of time between you squeezing and testing? Uh,
3: I think the, by the time I was done, it was about a year and a half i believe i'm looking for
2: the yeah i'm, I'm looking whatever. at your dates here uh, the, on what you published and it it was from may of 2010 till the testing was in january of 2012 so wow about a year and a half
1: unbelievable yeah, yeah so that's this argument well you just they, they 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 were just helpless they couldn't do anything to prevent fermentation that that really disarms that argument
2: right, right. Oh, I, I think now, that's powerful
3: um, the real question i guess comes in do we have any evidence that they did that in the bible
2: yeah, that's and what I wanted the, to ask you, yeah. Okay.
3: Well that we don't have like with so many procedures, you know, we don't have uh have descriptions of how they uh roasted something or that kind of thing. We don't have that, but we do have inferences I think that show that some of these things were done. Isaiah chapter twenty five, verse six. Uh the New King the, the King James and the American Standard will use the expression wine on the lees, well refined. That term it is translated well. Refined, Justinianus defines to mean to purify, to distill, to strain, to refine. Now, by distilling there, it's not talking about the more modern techniques where uh, you know you have alcohols produced by a, by a distilling process, but it may well either be talking about a boiling process or certainly a filtering process.
2: And again, that references Isaiah twenty-five six. Yes. Okay.
3: Um, Related to boiling, we don't have a specific reference to that. However, we do have references to wine mixed with water, and in some cases what would make that necessary is rehydration. You know, if you have wine that's been reduced, mixing water with it will bring it back to uh, something that would be more palatable. Isaiah 1, verse 22, will uh, there speak of wine mixed with water, and there it, it, it describes it probably in the sense of kind of a, negative thing, but in Song of Solomon 7, verse 2, it will make reference to wine mixed with water, and it uses the Hebrew word metzeg, which means wine mixed with water. So I think those together would indicate, yes, they did the same kinds of things that the people around them did to affect and change and alter the drinks that
2: they had. Um one of the references that was mentioned was Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 18, where it mentions all sorts of wine. You know, the question, uh, One of our questioners asked, did, did they distinguish? Uh, well, they must have distinguished if they could describe different sorts, all sorts of wine. Uh, clearly, they were making a distinction there. Uh, in, in, in the notes that you presented to us uh, at our meeting, you talked about new wine, sour wine, sweet wine, uh, and so there's just a lot of different references to things they did with wine. One of the questions, another question asked here was, uh, did people of the first century have a reliable way to know if stored juice had fermented a little bit or not at all? In other words, could they tell how effective their preservation had been to know the difference between 0% alcohol or say 2% or 5% alcohol?
3: Well, I don't know that that would be the case. You know, I think a lot of it uh, would have to depend upon taste, uh, smell, things such as that. And from what I understand, um, the alcohol content you can't really smell. Uh, it's other factors that are a part of fermented wine that that cause the smell that we often associate with.
1: You know, I, I, I might answer this way. My wife likes to to can vegetables at home, and when we we don't have any microscopes in our in our house, but when she cracks the top on some some vegetables shes scanned. she knows if it has botulism in it or not or I mean, it's gone bad she can tell and i would i yeah. would ask i would imagine that the same would be true for those who yeah they
2: clearly didn't have the kind of scientific uh, equipment that you had when you tested for alcoholic content in your experiment but again uh, these people were very familiar with the processes they they they, they were firsthand uh users of these different methods and so forth and so uh, more so than we are today. Way more than we are we've today. gotten
1: lazy and we've yeah. lost the skill of being able to preserve our food. That was that was how they lived. They yeah. lived by being right. able to preserve their food. Exactly right. Yeah. Right.
3: And, uh, and you know there are many things they could use the various products of the grape for, whether it had fermented and then you might need it for either medicinal use or even some cleaning things or to make vinegar. Or um, I remember reading something just the other day about bread. One of the techniques that they would use to allow bread to begin uh, a, a process by which it could um, be leavened uh, was adding must to uh, the dough, and that could allow it to.
2: So sometimes uh, to they got begin. their yeast that way from yeah. from yeah. the from what they filtered out of the rest of the of the juice. You know,
1: and another thing I would people want to make these arguments it's like the wine was so ubiquitous that they were drinking wine every day they just had i mean if they didn't have it they wouldn't survive but in your daily life how long how often do you drink grape juice if it's not for the lord's supper i mean yeah and you, i mean is it every day
2: so it's not in my i mean it's no. a few
1: times a year for me
2: yeah well uh kyle we talked about this some in our meeting and uh, i was wondering if you could remind us you know i i i get i get the impression of some people that you know they just couldn't drink the water they never drank the water they and so wine was was their hydrating method that I mean they they stayed hydrated by drinking wine they didn't they no one dared to drink the water but i don't really think that's an accurate in, uh representation is it
3: well i don't think we can make that extreme um, you know we did mention the apocryphal text that makes reference to um, mixing wine with water, but there are also plenty of biblical examples where they're drinking water. You know, in the test where they're seeing who brings water up with their hand and who
2: yeah, laps like a dog. It, there, Gideon's day, yeah, exactly right. and They were drinking water right out of the right out of a pond or some natural source. Yeah, I, I probably our our systems have become so delicate because we're not ex- because we've been blessed to not be exposed to all the different kinds of bacteria and and so forth that are uh, in wa- in water. But if, if we had drank the water they were drinking, we probably would have got pretty sick. But they were, they were accustomed to it. And, and, you know, sometimes when we travel overseas, we're warned not to drink the water. The locals drink the water, but we're warned not to drink the water because our systems are not acclimated to it and so forth.
3: Right. Before we run out of time, could I comment on the Lord's Supper uh, that sure. the writer mentioned? Sure. Um, His point I would agree with about the leavening and that being something that would be removed. uh, There are a couple of words in the Hebrew for leavening, but one of them is komets, and one of the words for a vinegar that is has been fermented or leavened is komets. Now, among rabbinic Jews, most of them will not make a distinction. In our study, though, we learned that uh, some Orthodox Jews, and I'm familiar with a sect called the Karaites, and the Karaites historically have had those among them that argued that uh, fermented wine would be leavened wine. And so the Karaites typically have uh, taken raisins and rehydrated them and made raisin wine for their observance of the Passover. It's interesting because one of the earliest references we have after the New Testament to how Christians observe the Lord's Supper is it makes reference to Justin Martyr's First Apology, to wine mixed with water, so it's clear, you know, we're not just looking at um, no way in which they address those issues. Okay, very
2: good, very good. Well, we're out of time, Kyle. We have kept you the whole hour, and we appreciate. It. I, I think your 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 work in in researching all that material, and also in conducting an, a, a personal experiment to to verify some procedures is just. I just think it's uh, very powerful in response to. The kind of thing that we're hearing so commonly—they—they they, all wine in the Bible was intoxicating, not true. They couldn't preserve unfermented grape juice, not true. They knew how, and the references are
1: that they did so. And it's as you proved, Kyle, it's not all that difficult to accomplish.
2: Yeah, I remember uh, just a real quick side note, Kyle. I was talking to somebody uh, when when uh, some other preachers and I made several preaching trips to uh, Russia, and we we actually converted a young man who was a student at Moscow State University studying microbiology, and he, he, he graduated with a Ph.D. in microbiology, and he returned back to his home in Moldova, and we visited him there and helped to, helped him to get started a, a congregation that still exists in Kishino, Moldova, and uh, he worked for the state government as a microbiologist, and, and the question was asked of him, is it possible to keep grape juice from fermenting? And he said, Oh, it's real easy, he said. Just boil it. You you boil it, it it won't ferment. And he's a microbiologist, and he, you know, he was almost flabbergasted that the question would even be asked. He said, oh yes, it's very easy, he said. That's right.
1: All right, your, your extensive notes are available online, Kyle. And if uh, our listeners are interested in that, uh, yeah, can, uh, you can send I guess send us an email and we can yeah I don't have notes.
2: I don't have the link up in front of me, but if you send me an email, I'll send you the link and you can get on there and you can download uh, two extensive outlines that Kyle presented on the subjects that we've discussed tonight. Really good stuff, Kyle. Thanks so much for your time.
3: Thank you. I've enjoyed being with you.
2: Yeah, All Thank right. you, Kyle. And uh, a very good discussion, Dad. And, again, we
1: invite our listeners to contact us at any time if they have questions or comments about what we've talked about tonight. It's an important subject. We're not done yet. We've got uh, another interview scheduled. A uh, couple two weeks, weeks from tonight. A weeks from tonight. We'll yeah. continue the discussion. And if you've got comments you'd like to uh, share with us about the subject of alcohol and the consumption of alcohol, Send us a comment anytime, Questions at com. Monty's been behind the board all night tonight, never even got introduced. Monty, I guess you're going to go on strike now, huh? No, I didn't have anything I needed okay, to say. Okay, all right, well. work, work conditions are brutal here. Brutal conditions. But uh, thank you for being here tonight, Monty. Yeah, right. thank you for your th- time. Th- thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word in the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.